I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. at the break of noon shadows even the silver spoon the handmade blade the child's balloon eclipses both the sun and moon to understand you know too soon there is no sense in trying pointed threats they bluff with scorn suicide remarks are torn from the fool's gold mouthpiece the hollow horn plays wasted words proves to warn that he not busy being born is busy dying temptations page flies out the door you follow find yourself at war watch waterfalls of pity roar you feel the moan, but unlike before, you discover that you'll just be one more person crying. So don't fear if you hear a foreign sound to your ear. It's all right, Ma. I'm only sighing. Those are the opening lines to It's All Right, Ma. I'm Only Bleeding, Bob Dylan's song on side two of his 1965 album, Bringing It All Back Home. And this is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about this uh, remarkable song, all the way from the other side of the world, is our pal Andy Dunn. Hi, Andy. Welcome to the show. Oh, g'day, Rob. Uh, thanks very much for having me. It's great. Great to be here. I'm very happy to have you here. Uh, you reached out to me a while ago. It was kind of funny. You you first reached out to me talking about that um, I was, uh, I, in, in your estimation, I was dinging Bob's 80s output a little heavily, which I thought was very funny because I know that I do a little bit. It's sort of funny to kind of, uh, that's a, a, a common cause here is that we uh, kind of kick around Bob's mid 80s stuff a little bit. And we've been talking back and forth about uh, about wanting to, to talk about this song. It's so complex that's so much going on. Uh, before we get to the, the song, though, like, tell us, like, how did you become a fan of, of Bob's work? Well, that might give you a, a, a bit of a, an insight into, into why I don't mind a bit of 80s Bob Dylan. <laughs> my, my brother, who's, who's older than me, um, I used to visit him. He was interstate. He was in the Navy, and I'd visit him quite often. And he'd always be playing this old Bob Dylan music, and I never liked it. I thought it was absolute garbage. I was only about 10 or 11, 10 or 11 years old. And then, and then I hit 13, and uh, we were in his car one day, and on comes his song, Neighbourhood Bully. And I said, oh, who sings this? And he said, this is Bob Dylan. I said, this is great. <laughs> and from that moment onwards, um, yeah, probably you know, around 83, 84, I just, yeah, fell in love with his music and went back and revisited all that 60s stuff and worked out that actually wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> that's an interesting song. But I've for, got a, yeah, that's an interesting song so, for, for that be the one that, that got you into his Neighborhood Bully. It's one of his more obscure ones. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I think, you know, at the time, you know, you're 13 years old, it was, it was at that time, I mean, the 1980s was very, shall we say, synthesized, I guess. <laughs> um, but... Um, but yeah, fell in love with it, and and really, and I saw him first in 1986 with Tom Petty, Petty and the Heartbreakers here in Australia, and um, he he played some of his some of his 80s stuff at that concert, and I, I just thought it was great. I loved it. Yeah. How many times have you seen him live? Well, um, this will be this coming up. He's coming back. He's coming back in August. I'm so excited. I've got my tickets already. Um, that, that will be the eighth time that I've seen him. So he doesn't come to Australia as often as obviously I love him too. Um, but every time he's here, I, I, I come to see him. 
with that file. That's uh, that's fantastic. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's uh, the the man has been to every corner of this globe. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. So yeah, the uh, those the, the the tour he did with Tom Petty. I of course I was I was just a kid when those were out, and I wasn't uh, I didn't really know much of Bob at that point. But the stuff I've heard, a lot of the bootlegs, that's some that was some really good stuff. He was doing a lot of interesting covers back then, and of course there is a. Uh, an HBO documentary of of that of that tour called Hard to Handle, which is pretty rare. You don't really see too much uh, live footage of Bob in concert that isn't a bootleg thing. And so, yeah, he was the, the, those concerts were were pretty cool and pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. They just they just all of them just seemed to be having fun, and I think it was he, he was just so passionate. I, I mean, I've watched that documentary a, a number of times. Uh, I know we're here to talk about it's all right, Mark, today, but. That live version of that song on that HBO documentary is just sends shivers down my spine. I think it's amazing. Now, you said to me uh, when we were, we were getting ready to do this that you think this is the greatest song ever done. The greatest is that was that hyperbole, or do you sort of mean that? Oh, absolutely. I think it's um, you put it into perspective. You know, when he wrote the song. Um, yeah, the media was just starting to become a big thing. There was, you know, there's, there's post-war problems, there's pre-war problems, and um, just it's just a genius song, and it's just an in-your-face. Here's a hard reality of, of of all these of all these things that are going on in the world, believe it or not. And it's just, yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it's the greatest song ever written. That's my personal opinion. Wow. Uh, to give people a little bit of context about this this album, of course, bringing it all back home is Dylan's half acoustic, half electric album. Uh, after kind of pushing his songwriting into new, more personal territory in the previous album, another side with Bob Dylan, this uh, this album added electricity. And uh, the first track is "Subterranean Homesick Blues," which we actually covered on a previous episode, and uh, that just uh, you know kicks in your door. Uh, with the with the electric beat, uh, it's practically, practically a rap song, essentially. Uh, and then the whole first side is electric, and then side two is all acoustic. And in the recording process, it was interesting, Dylan had decided, he told his producer, Tom Wilson, that he was going to re- record the entire second side of this record in one go. And he pretty much did. Apparently, Mr. Tambourine Man, which is, uh, of the there's four songs, Mr. Tambourine Man, Gates of Eden, it's all right, mom. Only bleeding, and it's all over now, baby blue. Which are all very lyrically dense songs, especially Gates of Eden and It's All Right, Ma. But he said he was going to do them all in one go. Apparently, only Mr. Tambourine Man gave him some difficulty about getting it exactly right. But from what I understand, he managed to get the takes that we know of of Gates of Eden and It's All Right, Ma. Pretty much in one go. Like he he had a false start apparently, but that was it. He just did them one straight through, and that's the re- that's the version we hear on the album, which is. Amazing again when you consider how long these songs are. It's all right, Mom. Only bleeding, I think, is something like almost eight minutes long, and it's just amazingly dense. And the fact that he could get it all right on the first take is pretty remarkable. Shows a shows, a, shows an amazing amount of uh, concentration, especially since this song is very strange in its structure. It's got very strange line breaks. Some lines are very shallow, very just like one or two words, and then the other ones are much longer. The rhyme schemes are a little odd. It's a, it's a very, very strange, and yet, but it's this, this torrent of images that just comes out to you about what, as Bob perceives it, as life is like in 1965 America. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, 
you can get lost in it because there's just so much going on. I mean, I talked about I, I quoted the first couple of verses, and after after that first break, uh, the first uh, chorus, he goes on and he says, uh, "As some mourn victory, some downfall, private reasons, great or small, can be seen in the eyes of those that call, made all made to make all that killed should be killed to crawl." While there's, what well, it's hard for me to say. Imagine he's able to sing this. I can't even say it right. While others say, don't hate nothing at all except hatred. Disillusion word like bullets bark as human gods aim for their mark to make everything from toy guns that spark to flesh-colored Christs that glow in the dark. It's easy to see without looking too far that not much is really sacred. While preachers preach of evil fates, teacher teach that teachers teach that knowledge waits can lead to hundred-dollar plates. Goodness hides behind its gates. But sometimes even the president of the United States sometimes must have to stand naked. And though the rules of the road have been lodged, it's only people's games that you've got to dodge. And it's all right, Ma. I can make it. Um, there are numerous versions of this song. You mentioned one uh, at the Hard to Handle tour. Uh, the other version that's probably the most famous is when he did this in 1974 when he sang it with the band. And he sang, even though that tour was uh, him doing songs electric, electrically with the band, he did this song acoustically. And, of course, singing this song with that line, but sometimes even the president of the United States must have to stand naked, singing that in the midst of Watergate was huge. And you could hear on the live album, Before the Flood, the reaction that line gets from, from people uh, because it's just, uh, you know, again, it's one of those things where, it's a line that when Dylan wrote it in, in 1965, it has a certain amount of relevance. And then 10 years later, it's just – it's like this landmine that you're like, wow, I can't believe that line exists. And it's even more relevant now. Yeah, and I think – I mean even in Australia when he sings that line, I'm, I've heard him uh, perform it a couple of times live. Um, you know, you'll get a big cheer from the Australian crowd as well. <laughs> but I think you, you, you talk about the relevance of it now. I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of the song is still very relevant today. It's, it's timeless. On some of the messages he's trying to get across, um, he has a kind of it, it's for for how dark this song seems to feel. The refrain where he's talking to his mother, and then it's funny. Uh, I mean, Dylan famously mentioned uh, a father in Highway sixty one revisited that song. God said to Abraham, "Give me, give me a son." He he mentions he mentions either his mother or a mother a lot. In a lot of his songs, more of his mother appears in more songs than I say his father has. But I, I kind of like that he's always going back in in the chorus to the mother by saying, "It's all right, Ma. I can make it." You know, like it's it's even though this you've got this this you know nightmarish world that you're being hit with at every turn. Yet he's sort of returning, going back to the mother and saying, "You know, he's saying it's all right, Ma. I can make it." There's something weirdly comforting about that. Yeah, yeah, it's like he's saying, I understand what's going on, so it's okay, I'm going to be okay. That's that's what I get out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's the Dylan's songwriting, of course, he said in the previous album, Another Side had moved on into much more kind of a personal realm, less, as he puts it, less finger-pointing songs, and had become, I think, probably more influenced by sort of the beat poetry that he had been reading, a lot of like Jack Kerouac and stuff. And this song in particular is kind of a hodgepodge of all the things he had been reading. Apparently when he got to Greenwich Village in the early 60s, he was just like a sponge. I think he even called himself that, uh, where he was just soaking up every influence he had. And, you know, there's a lot of research to be done about this song. I found an article online by someone named Stephen Rings, 
uh, and the article is called A Foreign Sound to Your Ear. Bob Dylan performs It's All Right, I'm Only Bleeding, 1964 to 2009. This online article goes on. I, I, I think if you printed it out, it would probably be 30 pages just about this song. <laughs> and um, yeah. there's all sorts of quotes here. I mean, like, you know, he's got a line Prove, proves to warn that he not busy being born is busy dying. Well, there's from Walt Whitman's Song of Myself, there's the lines, has anyone supposed it lucky to be born? I hasten to tell them or her it is just as lucky to die. So, I mean, he's got all these things from different sources that he's piling into this song. And it is just it's like I said, it's the the acoustic, the, the version on Bring It All Back. Is that your favorite version? Is that the one you like the most? My, my my absolute favorite version is off Hard to Handle the H H That was your favorite uh, okay. special. Um, I, I love the album, the studio version. Don't get me wrong, absolutely love it. I love every version he's ever done. Um, but the one he performed in in '86 in Australia, he was just he played it beautifully. He sang it with passion. He had the the, the entire audience engaged. It was just absolute piece of genius. Does, uh, is that version, it must be probably shorter. I think one of the things I've noticed is that all the live versions tend to be shorter. He tends to lop out at least a couple of the verses, maybe just to make it a little shorter or just because his memory is quite, you know, he's been able to remember quite all of it. Do you, do you happen to recall, like, is it the whole song or is he, is he kind no, of doing no, no. it? It's the same as the, I really enjoy the, um, the 30th uh, anniversary concert celebration version as well. And it's the same, the same verses that, that that's okay. in that. That's funny we're going to mention that. I was going to get to that as well because I, I've mentioned on previous episodes I was at that show. I was fortunate enough to be to be at that show. And it's very interesting that after a whole night of people singing Bob Dylan songs, when, when the man himself finally comes out, he did three songs by himself, Song to Woody, Girl from the North Country, and this song. Uh, I thought that was sort of sort of interesting. And one of the things that Stephen Rings, this author, points out is that Dylan, for whatever reason, when you can draw your own conclusions – Bob tends to play this song more often during uh, Republican presidential administrations. Uh, I mean, not not ex- <laughs> not not exclusively, but for the most part, if you look through the the the, the history of the song being performed at concert, he didn't sing it much during Bill Clinton, and he didn't sing it much during Barack Obama. But when a when there's a Republican in office, then he then he wheels it out, and you know, Dylan never he rarely kind of gives the audience exactly what he want exactly what they want because i'm sure if he played it today people would go nuts at that line especially uh but i don't yeah. think he kind of wants to do that i think he again he doesn't interested in giving the audience what he wants to li- this song has been played 772 times uh since 1964 the last time was in 2013 which of course was uh during uh, barack obama's second term so it's again it's not exclusively that it's only during certain presidencies but he hasn't played it in in five years and again like i'm sure he would get the the crowd hooping and hollering if he if he pulled it out but he hasn't uh it would be sort of interesting to see if he ever does it again anytime soon but do you have a particular favorite section of this song um, well, it's funny. It's funny you mention that because my favourite section he, he normally leaves off, off off all the live versions is is when, when he's talking. Uh, he's talking about um, um, for those who must obey authority that do not respect in any degree, who despise their jobs, their destiny, and he goes on to talk about um, society and their pliers. Society's pliers. That's my that's my favourite part of the whole song. He never sings it live. It's so it's so <laughs> frustrating. It's the it's the one it's the one that he that he leaves out. But the whole song is great. The whole 
you know, I suppose I, I know it doesn't surprise me that he's sang it as many times as you've just quoted there. I, I did read that it's one of the songs that he's that he's didn't say it was his favourite song, but he one of the songs he was most proud of, and um, and he was quoted as, as saying, I, "I could never write like." write anything like that again but i can still sing it which i thought was quite funny <laughs> <laughs> he's tapping into the other version of himself yeah the the part that i even though the the line about the president of the united states is is remarkable and i, I again i enjoy hearing it when he does it on before the flood the part that i actually like the best is and there's something about the way the rhymes fall is actually the very next section after the the, the president line is when he sings adverse advertising signs this is so hard to say. Advertising signs they con you into thinking that you're the one that can do what's never been done, that can win what's never been won. Meantime, life, meantime, life outside goes on all around you. I always found that to be very, yeah. very, very sort of trenchant commentary because that is exactly what advertising does. And I have to wonder what the Bob Dylan of 2018 thinks of the Bob Dylan that wrote that line, because of course, Bob Dylan and over the intervening years has become part of the, uh, you know, the world of advertising. He himself has sold his songs for advertising and he's actually appeared in commercials. So I would like to know what his view of that is as of could, you know, versus this, which the man who wrote these lines is incredibly, uh, you know, dismissive of advertising. And then in fact, you know, says it's it's probably an evil force. I mean, the idea that advertising is conning you into thinking you can, the the line, you can win that what's never been won. Uh, I just find that very powerful because I do think that that's what a lot of what advertising does. It, it, absolutely. It sets up a, it sets up a, a desire in people that can never be achieved. And then it makes you feel bad for never having achieved it. And I think that's a really, you know, there's lots of evil in the world and, uh, you know, there's like Hitler evil, but there's also the banality of evil, which we've, you know, we've heard about. And I think like a lot of times advertising is sort of the banality of evil. It, it's, it sets up something that eats away at you and, uh, and it's, it, it appears, you know, in your homes every moment of every day and television and print and wherever. But that that whole section, I just think, think is brilliant. And when he sings it on the Before the Flood version, he like spits it out, which I really love. Like he seems even angrier, which I really enjoy. It just it's got the very, it's just very cathartic. Yeah, he sings it very passionately every time I've ever heard him sing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, very very passionately. But I think if you look at, I mean, you go back to the mid '60s and compare that to the advertising of today. I mean, it is very. It's in your house. It's everywhere. It is today. It probably wasn't quite as prevalent back then. It was probably, you know, sort of starting to come into mainstream society more advertising, I guess. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. There's a uh, there's an episode of the TV series Black Mirror uh, that I saw. I think last year or something, and it sets, it shows this future world where advertising is running twenty four seven on the walls of your home and you have to pay to turn it off. And if you don't have the money to turn it off, you can't turn it off. And that's, uh, I feel like that's the future Bob Dylan is talking about in that particular section of the song. I mean, it's just like where you just, it's just nonstop bleeding into your eyeballs. And, um, but he, he goes on, he, for the, the song continues on. He says, you lose yourself, you reappear, you suddenly find you got nothing to fear, alone you stand with nobody near, when a trembling distant voice unclear started your sleeping ears to hear that somebody thinks they really found you. 
again, that's another a part where I think Dylan was trying to escape the trap that he felt people were setting up for him is that, you know, they wanted him to sing times are a changing and be the folk hero, be the social, uh, to borrow a phrase, like the social justice warrior. And he didn't want that. He didn't want that for himself. And this song is, is him pushing himself out of that and freeing himself from the expectations of what he perceived people wanted him from, you know? Uh, I mean, it would go even further just to, by the time Lake of Rolling Stone came out and he did the Newport Folk Festival. But you can see he's definitely heading in that direction and that this is more about um, freeing yourself from other people's expectations. And I think that's, a, again, it's a, it's a very, very powerful idea buried in a song with a thousand other powerful ideas. Yeah, absolutely. But I think also, I mean, if you look at his music from start to finish, I, I look at it, and, and and people ask me, what's your favourite era? I, I really don't have one. I, he's on a journey mm-hmm. to become the master of his craft because that's what he is. He, he, he You know, he can sing folk, he can sing country, he can sing rock and roll, he can sing jazzy blues, he can sing the classic. He, can, he does it all over this span of, you know, 50-odd years. The, the guy has just evolved. His music has evolved. Um, and, he, and, and he can basically do anything. He's not stuck in... You know, um, you know, he's not stuck in the '60s or the '70s, or or he has not hung up on on um, on, on, on anything for for too long, I guess, really. And I, I just I find that amazing, absolutely amazing, how one person can make all that different sort of music. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he kind of even addresses that a little as the song goes on. He says, "A question in your nerves is lit." Yet you know there is no answer fit to satisfy, ensure you not to quit, to keep it in your mind and don't forget that it is not he or she or them or it that you belong to. No matter how many times I try and sing along to the song, I can never get that line right. That it's not he or she or them or it that you belong to. <laughs> Although the masters make the rules for the wise men and the fools, I got nothing, Ma, to live up to. Again, he's setting up this idea that I, you know, I don't... You know, I mean, the, he's already changed the world by this point. I mean, he's already written Blown in the Wind and Times Are Changing and he's done all these amazing things. And yet he is trying to shake off those expectations uh, and saying, saying to himself and saying to, you know, uh, the Ma in this song, I got nothing to live up to, you know, which is, again, extraordinary. I mean, you think you have a lot to live up to. But he, again, he's he's trying to break off those shackles, which is, again, it's sort of startling uh, to, to hear him sing this stuff. And then he goes on, he says, for them that must obey authority that they do not, and this is, again, your favorite part, that they do not respect in any degree, who despise their jobs, their destiny, speak jealousy of them that are free, cultivate their flowers to be, which is actually not the line he sings. He says, uh, nothing nothing more than something they invest in, which, again, this is the original version. And he goes on, while some on principles baptized to strict party platform ties, social clubs in drag disguise, outsiders they can freely criticize, tell nothing who to except who to idolize, and then say God bless him, while one who sings with his tongue on fire gargles in the rat race choir, bend out of shape from society's pliers, cares not to come up any higher, but rather gets you down on the hole that he's in. Uh, again, this is something where Bob is talking about this this group of people that wanted to sort of own him and possess him and keep him in this little box that they wanted him to be in. And he was, you know, sort of forcibly kicking his way out. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I personally don't have a, a, 
a, a dog in that fight necessarily. Um, but I can't imagine the pressure he was under to be the Bob Dylan that other people wanted him to be, whether it was his audience or whether it was Columbia Records that wanted him to make, keep making the kind of records that you know had got him there. It's a it's enormous amount of pressure for a guy who was only what twenty three at this time. Yeah, but I, I don't think I honestly. And I'm sure he could have made more records like that. I have absolutely no doubt. In fact, I think you're right. I think it was his fans and the record company to an extent at least. Um, but I, I, I think he wouldn't have been as big if he did. That's that's my honest opinion. I mean, he would have still been an enormous you know, singer-songwriter, but I, I don't think he would have been at that legendary state as he is now if he just stuck to the same thing. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, I think he probably would have been, you talk about it, it would have kind of been like an oldies act at a certain point instead of, you know, as you talk about it, he can do it every once now. I mean, I've I've talked about in other episodes where, you know, I've seen him do concerts where he can skip entire decades of his catalog. Yes. And he still manages to do an entire concert that's, you know, 20 songs or whatever, which is pretty amazing. Um he, 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 the song again, it goes on. There's, there's so many lines in this thing. He says, uh, old lady judges watch people in pairs limited in sex. They dare to push fake morals and salt and stare while money doesn't talk. It swears. That's one of the big lines. Money doesn't talk. Yeah. It swears. I mean, that's one of those things where I'm like, was that already in the culture when he just found it? It's so simple and profound uh that you almost think it, it had to have existed before but as far as i know that's a that's a dylan creation he says obscenity who really cares propaganda all is phony well then that defend what they cannot see with the killer's pride security it blows their minds most bitterly for them to think that's honesty won't fall upon them naturally life sometimes must get lonely and then he wraps up with my eyes collide head on with stuffed graveyards false goals i scuff at pettiness which plays so rough Walk upside down inside handcuffs. Kick my legs to crash it off. Say, okay, I've had enough. What else can you show me? And if my thought dreams could be seen, they'd probably put my head in a guillotine. But it's all right, Ma. It's life and life only. Uh, it's an interesting idea that uh, he's saying that if his thought dreams could be seen, they'd probably put my head in a guillotine. Guillotine. I mean, this is a guy that's been spending his whole life showing us his thought dreams. Uh, I'm wondering what other, you know, what other things is he talking about? What is he, what, 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 what punishment is he thinking he would get by showing us his thought dreams? Yeah, I've got absolutely no idea. Um, but I mean, <laughs> apart from the words, <laughs> apart from the words in the song, I mean, just the the guitar playing is amazing. I just, I don't think he gets, and I know you've had a couple of guests on your show that have mentioned this, which I'm very pleased about. That I don't think he gets enough credit for his um, for his musical talent, and, yeah. and I just I just I, this it's uh, it's mesmerising the chord structure for this for this particular song, and you know live studio version a little bit different, but they're they're just absolutely mesmerising. It's absolutely brilliant. One man on a guitar can you know can sound like that. Yeah, it's got this uh, the the version on bringing it all back home has this real sort of. In- intense march to it uh which feels like you're kind of getting you know pushed along on this line and part of it again is the combination of course as as is anything it's a song the combination of the lyrics and the and the 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 chord structure and that you're sort of going on this march along with this guy who's almost feels like you're you're walking along i at least imagine you're walking along sort of this road with this guy who is just sort of extemporaneously talking 
and coming and coming up with all these crazy <laughs> things as he's going on and on. And you maybe can't separate yourself from him. Maybe you want to, maybe you don't. But he's throwing all this stuff at you and all these ideas, all these you know crazy random things. And the music is, like I said, it's for for a song that goes on as long as it does and is relatively simple with the the chord structure. It doesn't ever get boring. You know, like you kind of stay nice. engaged through all like eight minutes of it, which is pretty amazing. And if you, this is going to sound probably going to sound a little bit silly, but you, you try and sing it. It's mm-hmm. people say that, oh, you know, you know, Bob Dylan hasn't got a very good voice, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's just got a very unique voice. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, 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 I love the way he sings. But you try, I've heard a number of cover versions of this song. Um, and I'll be completely honest with you, I didn't like any of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the way he, he he sort of half talks the song, half sings it, it's it's very, very unique. And it just, it captures me anyway. It just, yeah, it really does. And I've yeah. never, I've, I try to sing it myself. I can, I can play it on the guitar and I, and I sound terrible, Rob. I really do. <laughs> I've tried so many times. Yeah, the, uh, the, the I did find a couple of cover versions. There was one by Billy Preston, of all people. Which was kind of like a of like a soul version, which is sort of amazing. The, the the words don't really fit the tune, but it's sort of amazing to hear him do it. And then there's an up tempo one by Terence Trent Darby, uh, both of which I just found sort of like be, <laughs> bewildering. Um, but I I appreciated the the willingness to engage to try and approach the song in a different way. I mean, again, n- neither one of them sings the whole version. Again, but Dylan himself doesn't sing the whole version, but. It's a, it is it's very unique. It, this is so specific to Bob. It, to me, it's like it's really hard to to imagine somebody else doing it effectively. And the the Preston and Terrence Trent Darby ones were just sort of like interesting curios. But yeah, it's really this is to me this is one of those songs where it's like you know the average person knows the big hits of Bob Dylan. They may not know them you know intimately, but they know the titles. You know, they know Blown in the Wind, yep. they know Times Are Changing, they know like a Rolling Stone, maybe even they know Tangled Up in Blue. But then there's like the B-level songs where the people that are fans, like that's where, you know, the the rubber meets the road, where it's like he's got these songs that were never hits, but are these genius accomplishments and show that he could do more than just have a couple of hits. And this is one of these songs that's just so complex, so huge, so timeless, and then it goes on and on. You know, again, you can hear it. Not just the line about the president of the United States, but there's a lot here that is still relevant to this day and it doesn't sound dated or anything like that. And that's, you know, he's like, this was a guy just totally, in, as you mentioned, uh, sort of mastering his craft. You know, uh, try to imagine writing this at 23. Like, I'm trying to picture. Where was he when he wrote this? You know, I mean, was he like in a coffee shop? Was he in his an apartment? I mean, when what what point does this stuff come to you? And how long did it take him to write? I don't I don't have a lot of bio about this particular song. I mean, we've heard about that, like a Rolling Stone was like originally ten typewritten pages, and he just distilled it down to the six minutes. But I haven't heard that much about the writing of this song. This seems this one in Gates of Eden. And it's all over now, baby blue seemed to come almost just fully formed almost around the same time. And he banged him out and got him, got him out on the record, which is again, just extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you mentioned a little bit earlier on to, to basically do it, you know, with one take is just, it's incredible. It's, yeah. 
yeah, unheard of. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I can't. I'm, I'm sitting here with the words in front of me, and I can't say them without tripping up, tripping myself up. And and yet he sang it straight through. And well, he was in a studio with a producer, and the clock is ticking. Uh, again, it's it's just amazing. And so yeah, this is this was uh, this filled up uh, side two of uh, of of bringing it all back home. Again, he has tried it um, in electric versions. Uh, there was one version on the. Uh, one of the bootleg series that's a, that's an electric version, which is um, very interesting. There's one he did with the Rolling Thunder review that was done as an electric version, which is very interesting. Um, but uh, and again, you mentioned the the one he did on the 30th anniversary concert. There's a version on the Bob Dylan at Budokan live album, and then there's the Before the Flood one. So this is this is something that's there's a lot of versions. If you go to the Bob, if you go to BobDylan.com and you look up this song, you see there's a lot of versions available out there for it and so it's 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 and i think maybe part of it is because it's so long because it's got so many verses and because it isn't telling a narrative you can probably leave out different chunks depending on your mood you know i mean I yes think he, absolutely I think, I think he tends to leave out some of the same parts every time but you don't have to you know i mean you can leave out the parts about the president of the united states or you can have, you can leave out the parts about advertising if you want to stick to the other parts because it just it's not like Tangled Up in Blue where you kind of have to sing the whole thing is that's the story. This is more like, as, as he puts it, a thought dream. And so it doesn't have to make any sort of literal sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, I, I find – I just – I did find it very interesting that he said that, it, that, it, that he couldn't – was quoted as saying that, that he, he couldn't write something like that again. I, I, I beg to differ. But anyway, <laughs> well, it's, I it's, think if he put his mind to it, he could do most things. I think so. I mean, geez, if you look at the liner notes for his World Gone Wrong record, those read like his 60s songs. They're these sort of rambling uh, ideas and then the sentences kind of double back on each other and stuff like that. So, I mean, I feel like he probably could write these again if he wanted to, but I guess he just doesn't want – he'd rather right now sing Frank Sinatra songs, which is, you know, hey, Absolutely. More, more power to him, Bob. You do whatever you want, buddy. It's it's, it's fine. But, uh, yeah, this is this song just sort of lives on and it, it, it stays sort of fresh and amazing. And, you know, I mean, again, some of the lines, money doesn't talk, it swears is just, well, yeah. Pretty, pretty much, you know. I mean, it's no matter no matter where you live or what age you're living in. Yeah, money does do that very thing. Yeah, it's very much in your face. It, and uh, when when you messaged me and asked me about you know what were my favourite songs, and I'm thinking I, I read the list after I sent it to you, and I, I think oh, there's probably about six or seven other ones I could have put in there, but this I think will always. It's on every playlist I've got different versions of it. So this is absolutely <laughs> my, my 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 favourite song. Have you you said you you can play guitar? I mean, like when you have you try to play this often, or is it something? as you feel like it's a huge mountain to climb? It's um, yeah, I I, uh, I try and play it. I normally pick up pick up the guitar once a week actually, and and I always give this one a go, <laughs> and uh, and I can get it going okay for 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 half the verses, and then I just get I get lost, and it's just <laughs> very very difficult. It's not just the words; I can have the words in front of me. But it's it, the way he sings it. It's unique. It's I just can't get it to sound the same. And, and I've never, I've never heard another version that that comes close. Yeah, you mentioned uh, his voice, and I've I've had this discussion with with endless people, and we've talked about it on previous episodes of the show where people say 
you know, well, he's a great songwriter. I don't know how much he's a great singer, but he's a great songwriter. And I always, I always chafe at that a little because that always sort of a backhanded compliment. And I always just felt like, you know, I you can't compare voices. I mean, to me, his voice makes me feel a lot when I listen to it, um, and that to me makes him a great singer. Um, I don't want to. That's what music's about. Yeah, isn't it? that's yeah. what that's what music is about. You know, it's it's about that connection that. You know, yeah. and I think he's got a, I think he's got a, an absolutely just as a unique voice, and 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 you, you can hear him sometimes. He'll 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 throw up a song here and there. Some of the classics that he sings uh, will show you that he can he can sing quite mainstream beautifully if he wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's just yeah, just very very unique. And this song in particular, it's because he's. He's half talking, and then he'll start to sing a little bit, and then he'll go back to talking almost. And it's just—it's. So, I find it so difficult. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> there's a. This isn't related to the song, but I, I couldn't help. It. I just reread it again a couple of days ago, where uh, Clinton Halen in uh, one of his books, the the Bob Dylan recording sessions, talks about when he was uh, when Bob was working on um, self portrait. I believe. Oh, no, no, excuse me. That's a portrait. He was working on um, the basement tapes with the band. And they said that uh, at one point for one song, he whips out the Nashville skyline voice, you know, that la, 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 lady, lay sound a a, a full year before he ever did it, any of the songs for Nashville skyline. And there's the voice only for, to appear on that one song and then disappear and not come back again for like another year and a half. And so he has that in his pocket the whole time to be able to whip out a completely different tone to sing in. And he just kind of whips it out when he felt like it. And then he put it back again, Just, just, again, imagine having that kind of uh, power at your disposal. And again, I think about when he does these concerts, you know, like how many to have so many songs to pick from. And now that he's working in, you know, a good five to seven covers per show. I mean, it expands the repertoire even further. I can only imagine like if, you know, do, do you dip back into the, if you're in the band, you know, do you want to like dip back in the book and say, Bob, what about this one? What do we, what do we, what do we do? It's all right. It's all, I'm only bleeding. We're going to do that one again, you know? <laughs> well, I, I've had a look at his recent, of his, his recent set list from concerts and there's about three or four of the classics in there. And it seems to be a, a nice spread 60s, 70s, you know, like there's mm-hmm. some always some stuff from Tempest, which I think is a wonderful, wonderful album. Me too. Um, yeah, there's a there's a spread from everywhere, which is, I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm I can't wait. I can't wait till the 20th of August. I'm really looking forward to it. I was about to ask you. So he's coming back in August. That's fantastic. That's great. Well, uh, yeah. we will have to hear back from you. Get a report about how the show was when when he, when he comes around. Absolutely. I'll give you a full report. I'll be happy to do that. Excellent. So well, like I said, I think that is going to do it for It's All Right, Ma. I'm Only Bleeding. There are so many versions to pick from. We'll play a couple at the end of this episode. Um, Andy, thank you so much for, for doing this. I appreciate it. I appreciate you reaching out to me. And it's great to, to finally get a chance to talk to you. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me on your show, Rob. I really, really enjoy it. Keep up the good work. And um, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. So, everybody, thanks so much for listening. As always, you can go to the website where we have all the back episodes, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. Andy, thanks for stopping by. And until the next episode, Doug, we will see you later. Bye.
Darkness at the break of noon Shadows, even the silver spoon The handmade blade, the child's balloon Eclipses both the sun and moon To understand, you know too soon There's no sense in trying Threats they bluff with scorn Suicide remarks are torn From the fool's gold mouthpiece The hollow horn plays wasted words Proves to warn that he not busy Being born is busy dying Temptation's page flies out the door You follow, find yourself at war Watch waterfalls of pity roar You feel the moan, but unlike before You discover that you just be one more person crying So don't fear If you hear A foreign sound To your ear It's all right, Ma. I'm only sighing. Thank you. 